you are listening to Girovagando, the cycling podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia. Today we are in Cazzano Magnago. Buonasera. Buonasera Daniel. Il barone Brian Nygaard. Do I need to give you do I need to give you a full CV, your full palmarès? Absolutely. Former not. team Absolutely press not. officer, multiple teams, team manager. Brian, we I think the listeners can probably tell we're indoors today. Yeah. And it's a day to be indoors, isn't it? Because it has rained all day, which is a familiar story now on this Giro d'Italia and it was a pretty miserable I mean, the riders might do a couple of hundred kilometers under the rain. We can't record outside if it's not Certainly dry. not. We're in a lovely trattoria. We're in the heart of Brianza, I would say, which is the area sort of between Milan and Lake Como. Uh, I know this area pretty well, as do you, Brian. And this is a this trattoria where we are this evening. Some lovely film posters all over the wall. We've got lovely Aubrey Hepburn breakfast at Tiffany's posters, the good, the bad, and the ugly, I can see. Um, it's a sort of typical, I think, Brianza kind of trattoria we'll be eating here shortly you've got a lovely um, Tipo Peel it's not a Tipo Pino beer waiting for you there I've got a Crodino but Brian we did um, on today's stage we went through some very distinguished towns a very distinguished part of Italy um, Lago Maggiore there was a large portion of the stage certainly in the finale of the stage uh, into Casano Magnago that skirted Lago Maggiore it went through places like Stresa Stres at a place with uh, sort of tangential. We like these tangential references, don't we? Um, place cycling of liter- connection. fame as well. Yes. Why, Brian? Well, it's uh, it's quite famous in the American and and, and and the world literature because of Farewell to Arms, the probably the best or if not the most famous and well-known book written by Ernest Hemingway, and the scene is set in that area as well. And it was actually an area where he. He also spent a part of his life after he, well, he was in, uh, he was recovering from, um, I think they, they, they pulled out 200 pieces of shrapnel from his leg. Wounded upon Monte Pazubio, which is in the Veneto. Yeah, and he was a, he was a first aid um, helper in the Italian army in the First World War. And Brian, yes, he, well, he was given time off, effectively, to recover, and he did so in Stresa, and this was a source of great inspiration for him. He stayed at the, uh, the hotel, basically the, the hotel named after the, the islands on Lago Maggiore, the Ile Borme, um, given their French name. I think that's what the hotel's called, the Grand Hotel des Îles Borme. And he was so inspired by Stresa that he set much of Farewell to Arms there. He also met somewhere, I think, up on Monte Pazubio, um, he met a cyclist who had finished on the podium or did, had by the end of his career, finished on the podium in Giro d'Italia four times, and Bartolomeo Aimo. And Bartolomeo Aimo inspired Hemingway to such an extent that he named the ambulance driver in farewell to arms after him 
And there was a, there's even, there's a sentence, there's a uh, quite a sort of axiomatic phrase in Farewell to Arms about bicycles pronounced by Bartolomeo Aimo. But Hemingway also, he crossed paths with the Giro once more, didn't he? In 1948, I think he was going trout fishing and he just happened upon the Giro d'Italia. It was a famous day. Famous edition. Yes, uh, 1948 edition. And it was a very famous stage where I think because if I recall... Um, Gino Bartoli was eating a banana um, on the road towards Canate on the Passorolle and Fausto Coppi attacked at that point and dropped him um, very dramatically. Brian, that was a rather large, long historical detour, um, but it was that kind of day, wasn't it? Um, an exciting stage, a breakaway stage. Not too much happened in the general classification, although the pink jersey did change hands. We're going to hear about that in a minute. But Brian, we're going to have a slightly different structure to today's podcast. Usually at this point, we go to the tail of the tapper. But I propose we go back to the start of the day. We go back to Switzerland, which you're probably I'm not thrilled my head about. Over here. And we hear from a couple of riders who would be very much in the thick of the action today. And well, the first of them is a familiar voice on this podcast. And without further ado, let's go back to Seattle this morning and have today's instalment of La Ranzando. La Ranzando, a postcard from Italy with Larry Warbass. Larry's still smiling. Larry, um, 10 degrees, you're gonna ride today, 10 degrees sunny. You guys, you boys can ask. <laughs> if it's 20 degrees in the bus, why do we need to go outside? <laughs> I spoke. Um, we'll get onto the serious business in a minute, but I did speak to a team manager um, this morning. I can't reveal his identity. He said, we don't need any um, rain gear anymore on this team. I'll tell the sponsor we don't need it anymore because you guys won't ride in the rain no anymore. Way. Yeah. The, the, the riders were not very impressed by this, apparently. I guess not, huh? But, uh, yeah, I mean, if they're not on the bike, I mean, I get, I get it if they want their guys to ride. But, you know, I, it's hard to say because before the stage, if you look at, like, the weather forecast... It was like Dantesque, and uh, in the end, it was maybe it would have been okay, but I'm sure it would have been similar to the days, uh, the one day before that was really cold. But I still think they made the right decision when you look at the weather forecast and you took everything into account. We didn't know that it was going to be dry on the other side, like 100%. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, mean I know the fans were disappointed, but uh, in the end, I think it was still a good race to watch, probably. It was. I, su- I suppose, you know, it's what's the lesser of two evils because yesterday it was based on the forecast, wasn't it? It was based on a hypothesis. The alternative is we have a, ref- a commissaire or a team of commissaires who are ready to cancel the race if it gets to that point, um, if they need to. But then people aren't happy either if the race is completely cancelled. At least yesterday, I suppose, we got a full race. But those are the two scenarios that have to be weighed up, aren't they? Yeah, I think the thing is, I mean, I couldn't even imagine how difficult it would be to cancel the race if you had, like, you know, some guys 10 minutes up the road, other guys 30 minutes off the back. I mean, how do you even arrange everyone? Then guys, you know, I, I think if we would have done the race yesterday, we probably would have lost another 20 guys. Um, and then you have maybe 110 guys left in the Giro with more than a week to go. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a good solution either. I mean, it's hard to say, you know, it's like I said the other day, I think uh, 
uh, we kind of lose on both sides. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. And uh, at least uh, it was a nice race yesterday for uh, a lot of guys. And just on the rejig route, Larry, just 70 kilometers. I mean, being from Motown, being from Detroit, you should be no surprise that you're a diesel engine. And I don't think you particularly like those fast starts, do you? No, I mean, I think for me, it's better to have like a really long day and, uh, you know, a longer fight for the break. And <clears throat> at the start, I, I, I kind of had a look and I went with one thing and I went a little bit into the red. And then when you're on like an almost hour long climb, uh, it's hard to recover when you go in the red. But yeah, in the end, I, I recovered and uh, yeah, actually, I had decent legs. But, uh, you know, if you saw the breakaway, aside from Derek G, uh, I mean, I think we had the four lightest guys, Pino, and then a really solid Canadian. So <laughs> Canada goose. Yeah, he's impressive. Yeah, he'll be one to watch in the future for sure. Well, Brian, some talk there about yesterday, the events of yesterday, the polemica of yesterday. And Larry there, very prophetically, I suppose, um, he finished up talking about, we finished up talking about Derek G, who I referred to in that conversation with Larry as the Canada Goose. Of course, Derek G, we learned about his passion for ornithology earlier in the Giro d'Italia. And, well... I had the chance to speak to Derek G in Seattle as well this morning about yesterday's stage, which was another day in the break for him, and also birds once again. And Brian, so thrilled are we with Derek G's performances in this Giro d'Italia. This inspired a new feature that premieres tonight. And as you can see, we, well, as you'll be able to hear, we went to great expense. We hired a very expensive studio for the recording of this jingle <laughs> that you're going to hear. Um, a lot of work went into this. So anyway, take it away. This is Derek G's words of wisdom. Derek G, Derek G, Derek G. Derek G, speaking words of wisdom. Derek G. Another fantastic day yesterday. Um, I mean, this is becoming the norm now. Yeah, it's a bit, uh, a bit shocking, honestly. Uh, looking at the stage profile yesterday, I definitely didn't expect to be up there. So, uh, yeah, I'm really happy with the legs. You were a sort of, well, you, you had a front row seat of Thibaut Pino's efforts to win the stage. Everyone else was sort of exasperated at how much he was attacking. Um, and they thought that didn't really help him in the end. What did you think? I mean, I was just doing my own race. I knew those guys were all climbers and, you know, they're, they're doing their thing to win the stage. And, yeah, I, I knew I couldn't, I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't follow the moves. It was just a little too punchy for me. So I just rode my own climb and let them do their thing. And, yeah. Made it back to them once, but uh, couldn't do it again. <laughs> and um, Derek, I promised the other day we'd, well, there was bound to be um, people volunteering ornithological nicknames for you. And we've had a few, had a few. The Ottawa Osprey, uh, the loon. The loon is a bird in, um, in Ottawa, near Ottawa. And it's also the name for a dollar in yeah, slang for a dollar. dollar uh, One dollar coin, yeah. The senatorial sparrow. Um, and the Canada Goose, any preference for any of those? Those are all good. I quite like the Ottawa Osprey. The Ottawa Osprey is good. The Canada Goose is just funny. Um, I don't have a preference. I mean, uh, I just think it's hilarious people are coming up with these. <laughs> we'll give you a couple of days to think about it. By the time you've won a stage, then we'll have a definitive answer. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. Eh? <laughs> so, Brian, no real consensus about what we were going to call Derek G. Seem to like all of those suggestions. Um, but, as I said earlier, Larry and Derek G 
were very much protagonists of today's stage. And now finally we get to today's Tale of the Tapa. It's time for the Tale of the Tapa. Thank you very much, Daniel. So stage 14 from here in Switzerland to Casano Maniago. Here in Italy, 194 kilometers. Um, it started dry in, in Switzerland, uh, actually quite pleasant this morning. And then as the race went on to the very big climb of the day, the Passo del Sempione, the rain started to come down hard. Plenty of attacking, a lot of riders were eager to go up the road. Not just to stay warm, but it was cl clear from early on that a break had the potential to go all the way. More than 30 riders went clear on the climb and a strong group started to open a gap. Uh, I'm not going to list all the riders. You've mentioned two of them already. A lot of strong riders in that breakaway. A lot of fast riders too. Who Are you going to mention any of them? I will mention a few of them. Peter Seri, Pascalon, Luis Leon Sanchez, Nico Denz, Petiol, the Bice brothers, uh, Bruno Mirai, Simon Clark, Gaviria, Carlos Verona, you want more? No, that will do. Okay, great. So the best placed rider in the overall was Bruno Amirai at 18.37 at the start of the day behind Geraint Thomas, but the gap grew beyond uh, 15 minutes, so it actually started to show up in the virtual GC top 10. First rider to pass the Sempione was David Baez, and that actually meant that he took the jersey back from Thibaut Pinot, and he's now leading the mountains classification with 30 points. Plenty of options for a stage winner in that big group, but as it turned out, actually too many. So the attacking actually started quite early with 65 kilometers to go, and uh, four riders went away. They were Davide Ballerini, Stefano Oldani, Laurent Rex, and Tom Scoons. Tom Scoons, who's seen quite a lot in uh, this uh, first part of the Giro. With 25 kilometers to go, they built a gap close to a minute to the other breakaway riders, and the pink jersey group was uh, uh, 17 minutes behind the quartet, and that actually meant that Bruno Mirai was climbing all kinds of position in the virtual GC. Um, they hadn't given up the chase uh, back, so it was very, very close, uh, sort of a, a cat and mouse with um, them coming, trying to catch them, those four riders uh, up the road. And it, it turned out pretty chaotic. And the final actually started to look a little bit like a one-day race in Belgium in April, just mm, kind of like Gent Wevelgen. Um, with five kilometers to go, the situation was that they actually, uh, the three in front now, Ballerini, Oldani and Skuins, they only had uh, 15 seconds to a quite strong group of chasers, uh, Nico Danes, Alberto Petiol, Longrex, Derek G, and Marius Mayhofer. At this point, uh, Amirai was in the pink jersey, and the chasers, uh, the, the group chasing behind the three in front, they actually managed to, to close, and uh, that meant that there was a sprint once again. They got caught 400 meters from the line, and Nico Danes actually threw his arms to the air, and it looked like it could have been a um, photo finish, but it wasn't. Once again, and for the third time in this Giro, our new Jingle Man Dirty came second. The other real win the other winner today was Bruno Mirai, and he's now in pink, and he's the first rider, would you believe it, in 24 years to wear pink. Uh, the last one to do that was Laurent Jalabert in 99. The first rider to wear pink in 24 years. I thought Garrett Thomas was wearing pink today. The first French rider, excuse me, to wear pink. I was just uh, a little bit frazzled because uh, the, the restaurant is starting to get it's crowded now. I'm curious to see what kind of food and wine they're ordering. Anyways. The first French rider in 24 years to wear pink. Yeah. Pink jersey. Right? Pink jersey, yeah. That's 99, Laurent Jalabert. Wow. I remember that year with Laurent Jalabert. He was, 
he actually looked early on to be potential winner of the, his second Grand Tour. You know, he won the Welter in 95. Remember, remember Marco Pantani almost giving him a haircut when he went past him so fast on the Santuario di Europa climb. Yeah, exactly. That's where it drifted away from him. But yeah, uh, quite a big deal for Bruno Mirai, who's clearly here as a helper for uh, Thibaut Pinot. He actually also was a specifically helper for Thibaut Pinot yesterday. But we'll, I'm sure we'll hear more about that later in this episode. We will, Brian. And well, we started, well, we prefaced the tale of the tapper by hearing from our own Motown maestro, lucky Larry Warbass, and from Derek G. Well, let's hear from them both after the stage about their day in the breakaway. They're contrasting fortunes, really, in the breakaway today. Well, Larry, we said this morning you didn't like fast starts, you didn't like climbs in the start stages, and well, you proved us wrong, you proved yourself wrong. Yeah, I mean, uh, I thought it was a decent day for the break, and then, oh my god, there was like this crazy headwind at the start. I mean, like block headwind, 50k an hour. So, uh, yeah, actually, that was like really hard. And then even at one point, there was like a pretty big split in the group, I think. But uh, I was in front, so I didn't really see what was happening. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know, it was just kind of like following a lot of moves, and maybe after... 20-ish K like we escaped and then uh, yeah but we had a lot of good sprinters in the group so that was also kind of difficult to see like you know what to do and with such a big group like 30 guys yeah it's never easy so um, yeah we just kind of rode like a tempo on the big climb and then yeah we all just froze our asses off on the descent <laughs> so yeah then it was pretty much everyone was just shivering for like 30k and uh, yeah and then pretty much attack started and it was a pretty full gas day, so. In a group like that, a huge group where you know that it's not going to go to the finish in a group that size, do you feel the moment where it sort of slips through your fingers, do you sort of sense that pretty quickly? Yeah, I mean, some guys were smart and they kind of like took advantage of guys uh, with rain jackets still on. So, you know, there was a few guys that took their rain jackets off pretty early and then uh, they started hitting it. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a gamble because like, if it doesn't work out and you get really cold, <laughs> then it's it's difficult. So uh, so yeah, that was when that first <clears throat> group uh, of three or four guys went. I mean, that's racing though, you know, that's like uh, strategy. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, once they went away, I don't know, we thought there was maybe still a chance because like Movistar had two guys to ride for Gaviria. They got pretty well organized, but uh, in the end, when we hit the first of the hills, uh, yeah, uh, it all exploded and yeah unfortunately i didn't have the best legs <laughs> so well, larry you look pretty cold at the moment get in that shower yeah, get will. warmed up because we need you in the studio okay, tired. Yeah, the okay, last okay. thing we need is you getting ill yeah, yeah, yeah i need to get in another breakaway and actually get a result next time <laughs> well done mate good ride so strong i gotta go congratulations that's unbelievable yeah uh, second again <laughs> that's a lot of them oh uh, closest one yet but I mean, I did everything I could. Nico took it from 900 meters. I couldn't come around him, so I mean, chapeau. That was unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know what else I could do. <laughs> uh, anyway, it was just a couple meters too close. But yeah, I think uh, I think his hand hit me in the face when he was celebrating. It was so close, so we'll get there, eh? Oh. Hey, how different is the feeling today from, well, the first second place? This is the third one now. I mean, I guess it's, it's sort of progressed to frustration now. They just keep getting worse. The first one was awesome. <laughs> 
I mean, at least we thought the race was over for a really long time there with when they were almost up to a minute. And uh, yeah, Stevie Williams did a massive job helping bring it back with Movistar and gave me the opportunity to, to launch. And then, yeah, he's just stronger today. I don't know. <laughs> When's the next opportunity? I don't know. <laughs> I think my legs might be a little bit, uh, a little bit fried. <laughs> The Cycling Podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Our Giro coverage is supported by Science in Sport. I wanted to know from Ben Swift of Ineos Grenadiers what his recovery routine is. And I was surprised to find that recovery begins sometimes before the stage has even finished. For me, it kind of starts even before that, you know, like once my job's done, then I'd have some sort of like starting my recovery already then, you know, so getting like not necessarily the, well, maybe sometimes depending on how it is, like a bit of the, the protein powder with like a, some carbs in there, either a 20 or a 40, uh, and then a bottle of like the cherry, the cherry Rigo, and then also like maybe a, like a little treat, you know, so not something that's something like a Snickers bar or something, you know, like you still go and it's something like you look forward to or a little bit of uh, morale food as well. So you're doing your job and then and then once you're back to the bus, because you've already had your recovery and stuff, probably just having a bit of a smoothie, getting in your shower, doing your cool down and then getting your proper lunch in, like your solid food. Go to scienceinsport.com and search through the recovery products. Uh, my particular favorite is the Rego powder, mixes up into a nice drink and it's replacing all of the things that you've lost on a ride without really knowing it. Geraint, you're looking pretty relaxed at the moment, but uh, the stage looked uh, rather cold and wet out there today. Just talk us through particularly that long climb up to Simplone. Yeah, going up was all right, but um, coming down was not the nicest. I think I had like three jackets on and I was still shivering. Got down it, you know, the boys controlled the brake really well at the start. Best guy in GC, 18 minutes and 45 seconds or something. And um, yeah, it was a big break, but we were happy for it to go and then just see how it turns out really, because nine times out of 10, a big break like that doesn't really ride well together on the flat. There's normally a lot of attacks and we were kind of half expecting them to start attacking each other on the climb already. But um, yeah, and then it turned out, you know, they rode really well together. So the speed in front was fast and we didn't want to overcook our boys just to try and defend the jersey basically. So. You know, they still rode a decent tempo, decent pace, and um, ended up giving the jersey, or losing the jersey, however you want to call it, but um, gave that away. But um, yeah, I think it was a, it was a good decision because there's no point in two guys trying to hold 20-odd guys rotating for gas. So, um, But happy to get that one ticked off because it was another long day, pretty much cold and wet. So, Brian, that was Geraint Thomas, our former Maglia Rosa, explaining why they gave the pink jersey away or how circumstances conspired to give them the opportunity. I don't think they went into today probably thinking that they would have the opportunity to give the pink jersey away. And ultimately, well, we expect them to have given it away for one day. It will spare them one day of work or half a day, the first half of tomorrow's stage, perhaps. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's also quite normal that you know you, you you can have a plan that you present to the riders in the bus and they give their feedback. But what happens on the road? You sh- you always need to be flexible, 
because situ a situation can arise and then all of a sudden you, you need to make quick decisions. And they needed that today. And I thought that was a really smart move. However, though, I will say, I'm not sure they get it back tomorrow because behind uh, the new pink jersey, I mean, I things are still really close, especially in between Roglic and and Thomas. So it, I think, I mean, I will lose it, but I'm I'm not sure it will necessarily be Garen Thomas who will take it away from him. Basically, a Roglification will deprive them of the pink jersey, won't it, tomorrow? Two seconds, a time bonus somewhere yeah. will give Primoz Roglic the pink jersey. And I think we're still sort of in that ping pong between those two riders and their teams to see they'll figure out how much do we gain by taking the jersey by roglifying Garen Thomas Jumbo mm. by roglifying Thomas for a couple of seconds mm. it'll give them the jersey yes but if it's only for a couple of seconds it basically just gives them the responsibility of the pink jersey and I'm not saying that it's still earning the Giro because it's not but it comes with a price and Brian we've got a new Maria Rosa his name is Bruno Armiray he's from Tarbe in the southwest of France I suppose it's southwest trains a lot in the Pyrenees um, he's a rider we've known about for three or four years now he's very strong particularly well he's strong on rolling terrain um, he's a real workhorse for tall fella yeah for Groupama FDG um, he was very surprisingly left out of the Tour de France team last year and he was very disappointed and expressed his disappointment publicly he then went on hours later or a day or two later to win the the French National Time Trial Championship, but um, a very strong rider. And well, he obviously he played his cards pretty well. I think well, I, th I think he said at the finish that he would he would like to have won the stage as well. Um, and there were a few riders who well, there was certainly one rider who played one other rider who played his cards extremely well, and that was Nico Dens taking his second stage win of the Giro and Brian we've seen this a few times over the last few years particularly in the Vuelta a España when a guy who is an outsider he's a breakaway specialist an opportunist he wins one stage and then another one follows we saw it with Ben King a few years ago at the Vuelta so Michael Carl Anderson at the Tour yes Michael Storer at the Vuelta in 2021 Ben King at the Vuelta as I just said Ben King sorry <laughs> Um, I'm glad you're listening, Brian. And Richard Carapaz, maybe not in the same category because he was probably the strongest climber in the Vuelta last year, but he took um, three stages. And I suppose what happens is that riders who have won one stage, and for some of these riders we've been talking about, we've just mentioned, it was the biggest result of their career. And there's a relief, but there's also that confidence that comes with that and a confidence which leads to good judgment. And that's what happened today. But let's not also overlook the fact, as Derek G said earlier, that Nico Dens did extraordinary work to put himself in position to win, particularly in those last two kilometers. Yeah, extremely. And, and I've, I totally agree with the psychological element in it because he, he could also poker a little bit in that final. You know, obviously, he wants to win when he has a fighting chance for it. But once you have that first win under your belt, you you probably a little bit more in a better position to, to, to gamble, I think. And yeah, he just gambled it perfectly right. The one thing that once again, though, surprised me was how certain he was about the win. <laughs> because it, it might as well have been a, a photo finish, but yeah, he threw his hands in the air, didn't he? And biffed Derek G, as Derek G told us. Um, biffed him in the face, but there were no recriminations. And very amiable fellow, as we've heard, Derek G. And Brian, who didn't play their cards well? I mean, my, the, my sort of first nomination for for the sort of prize the booby prize of the day the guy who will be kicking himself tonight and it's the rider who comes from pretty close to where we're sitting now comes from Cantu 
and it's Davide Ballerini, who was one of the fastest riders on paper in the bigger group, let alone the small group, yeah. and then found himself in a perfect position. He was with, he was away in the finale with uh, Laurence uh, Rex of Intermarché, and they they had beef earlier in the season at the Tour of Flanders. Um, there was a, an Instagram spat, Rex. I think crashed at the world, but I think they both crashed at the Tour of Flanders and Rex blamed Ballerini on Instagram and it went back and forth. I don't think they talked too much today in the break, but Ballerini, he will be absolutely, well, he'll be very disappointed with yeah. himself. I mean, a couple of times today, also in the quite competent uh, commentating in, on Rye, they had they were certain that they would stay away. It, it looked like it, but then, you know, it's that little, maybe they didn't want it they were looking too much at each other or one of them started to pull a little bit less I'll have to say that another one that I think will be very disappointed today again is Alberto Betiol he's been in a lot of breakaways he's opened the sort of the, the pre-final by trying to make a selection mm. but it's, it's, it just hasn't really panned out for him He's a very demonstrative rider in a similar vein to Thibaut Pino. When he's going well it's very obvious that he's yeah. going well isn't it yeah. and uh, He's not great at playing poker. No, once um, he has the legs, he lo- uses his, loses his head. Yes, yes. I think that he will have opportunities later in the Giro because whenever he's riding well and whenever there are breakaway wins to be had, he's always a threat. And we've seen him before, regardless of tactics, we've seen him overpower a breakaway before. And I thought that was what was going to happen yeah. today. He will also be very disappointed tonight. But Brian, you know, I stood at the finish line um, and watched the riders come over the line, more the peloton than the breakaway. And wow, there were a lot of pretty fed up riders there. Very cold looking riders again. And riders who just look as though they've had enough after two weeks. I mean, you and I obviously, I mean, the way that we were going to the finish today took us over the, the Sempione. And the descent, it was just relentless rain. It was, the, I mean, the longest descent I've driven for years in a car at a bike race. And it just, it almost like it was descent from Switzerland all the way into the finish line. And it was, the road wasn't great at times. And it just, it, it looks like, it looked like almost like a, a waterfall from Switzerland flowing into Italy. That wouldn't have been nice. It was six degrees on the top, as we mentioned earlier. And then all of that rain. I mean, imagine going to breakaway and then ending up with nothing after having spent all that energy. Brian, on that note, shall we go back to around about lunchtime today when we went over the Saint-Plan Pass? And, well, here are our thoughts and observations from the top of the Saint-Plan as we rode back into Italy. Well, Brian, another day, another big Alpine Pass, another big Swiss Pass. Last in, yesterday it was the Grand Saint-Bernard, today it's the Saint-Plan. Yesterday we were heading out of Italy into Switzerland. Now we're heading from Switzerland into Italy. Not quite yeah, there yet. Just crossing the summit though, and you can probably tell from the sound effects that the weather is well very familiar for us on this Giro. It's cold, it's wet, six degrees today. The dashboard is telling me, Brian? It's pretty grim up here, isn't it? I mean, I know this is your type of terrain, but I would say this is the conditions today are harder than they were yesterday coming down this is going to be very long and very wet and cold descent for the riders once they pass the gpm snow i mean there's some some snow up here but just a lot of rain on the road very 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 wet but hopefully not too slippery brian i said this is a big sort of venerable old pass some fantastic buildings on here you're not the first person to point out that a few of the hotels a few of the structures up here they look as though they belong in a wes anderson movie there's another one coming just on the right 
Um, Brian, this pass was built in uh, the very start of the 19th century, commissioned by Napoleon, sort of unilaterally, didn't really tell anyone, just went ahead and built a pass so he could move artillery um, across the summit. It's named after the village of Saint-Plan, which is just off to the side of the road, and the uh, people who live in Saint-Plan are semi-affectionately known as, in Swiss-German, Schrutfresser. Um, just cabbage eaters. Apparently, they consume a lot of cabbage in these parts. You're just making making it sound more and more attractive to <laughs> to come here, Daniel. I mean, it is beautiful in a very dramatic way. But if the riders were wanting to avoid certain conditions yesterday, they're getting them today with full force. I would like to be out there interacting with this, Brian. These yeah. are, this is my my terrain, my kind of conditions. L'ordine d'arrivo in cima al gabbia e allora li ha mandati giù al massacro. Ma soprattutto quello che è cambiato lì, la possibilità di comunicare. Adesso hai tutto che ti comunicano la temperatura, il tempo col telefonino in tempo reale, tu sai cosa succede 10 km più avanti, insomma, i nostri tempi non era così, insomma, no. Well, Brian, that was us on the Saint-Plan pass and then after that we heard a little bit of me in conversation with, well, 1984 Giro d'Italia winner Francesco Moser. I did quite a long interview with Moser today. Friends of the podcast will hear some of that on a kilometre zero that's coming in the next few days. But we were talking about, well, what, what everyone was talking about, certainly yesterday and still overnight, which was the truncated stage yesterday, the question of the weather, there were questions this morning about whether we would get a full stage overnight. I mean, everyone um, had an opinion on the events of yesterday, particularly particularly some illustrious riders of yesteryear. Now, Francesco Moser was relatively diplomatic, I would say. Those, you know, if people were expecting him to sort of go down the misty-eyed, sort of, it was much better in my day, these are all snowflakes kind of route. But can I just um, ask, didn't the sorry. Giro he won? Yes, ironically, yes. Yeah. Um, ironically, the Giro he won is notorious because there was a big mountain stage that was cancelled. Yeah, exactly. Supposedly, allegedly, to favour him. Glad he hasn't forgotten. Uh, no, however, he did say about that Giro in 1984 that the stage of Bardonecchia, it was so cold um, and I think there was snow on the on that day in particular. He said he, he had snow blindness um, he couldn't see when he got to the finish um, and he was completely disoriented and he talked a lot about some of the conditions that they faced back in the 80s and 70s when he was riding but his main point about what happened yesterday was that the main change and we talked about this was the is the means of communication um, and these sort of moves initiatives to get stages cancelled or shortened or changed they kind of spread like wildfire wildfire due to things like whatsapp one thing that i always think of when you hear all the generations especially if you go all the way back to Mosea and, and the 80s uh, were they tougher back then probably but one thing that they didn't have that they have the riders have today i mean they had nowhere near anything the type of technical clothing the riders yeah. have today they had nowhere near the the braking abilities of the bike obviously no disc brakes and it was it was completely different game in that sense, at least. I think that we all need to keep that in mind when we say that, oh yeah, they're just saying they were tougher back then. They actually were because they didn't have the same means of staying safe and dry. And Brian, uh, several riders from Moser's generation also weighed in on the debate. Um, most notable probably among them was Mark Madiot, who actually found himself at the end of the day with a with 
one of his riders in uh, Malia Rosa, but of course the Grubama FDJ team manager. Pretty well known for his forthright opinions, for his tirades, the Madio monologues. Um, he said on Radio RMC, well, he talked about the Gavia stage, the infamous Gavia stage in 1988, and he said that day it took him two hours to warm up in the shower and he swore to himself that he would never put himself in that kind of state again. However, looking back now, 30 years later, he's proud that he did put himself through that ordeal. He said, we're not at Roland Garros. We can't just pull a tarpaulin over the court. Um, There are riders still who hurt themselves who go beyond what their power meters tell them they can do. But this was a sport for people who couldn't do what most people could do. We're not obliged to be, or they're not obliged to be professional riders. Um, They have the right to abandon. No one blamed the 100 plus riders who abandoned at Liège in 1980 when Eno won. But we have a unique special sport and we have have to protect it that's what he said so clearly mm, clearly he's a pretty i would say extreme end or he's at one extreme of the um of this debate and there were others um who struck similar stri- similar notes this morning and uh, marco bonario journalist for corriera Corriere della Sera called it a pessima figura, which is basically an embarrassment. A, a complete embarrassment. Um, he said the riders had humiliated the sport and the spectators. Um, Mario Cipollini as well, he suggested that what the riders really need rather than the CPA and the current CPA president, Adam Hansen, is someone who was basically born closer to Italy. I mean, that was the gist of Cipollini's, yeah. um, Cipollini's Those missive Those decisions on shouldn't Instagram. be left in the hands of someone who grew up on the other end that, of, the, yeah. uh, of, the, of the planet. His advice to the current generation was don't let people decide, decide who were born thousands of kilometers from the Giro d'Italia, physically and in terms of cycling culture. Um, as an antidote to those riders of yesteryear who were very much of the opinion that we shouldn't have had the route change yesterday, Geraint Thomas this morning was interviewed and and, and asked for his response to a a lot of what was being said. And he said, well, a lot of things happened in the 80s and 90s. Um, We don't go about things the same way now, and we're proud of that. And um, it's pretty obvious what he's referring to. Isn't it? Yeah, and um, who who doesn't agree with that? I mean, that's that's obvious. I'm I'm just not sure that uh, as a counter argument that that's actually so applicable. The one thing that that makes it hard for me to sort of come in terms with yesterday, if I can just quickly say my opinion, is that I think the adverse weather protocol, severe weather protocol. I think that's a great thing. I think that needs to be applicable, and there needs to be some kind of sense in what we put the riders to. But on the shortened stage, there wasn't any severe weather conditions that would that would kick in to have that protocol changed and that's why you know and, and that's also why journalists older riders other people say that well does that does that now set a precedence and what what type of sport do we end up with if this is sort of the starting point that we can just by votes could decide what stages or what part of the stage will do i mean i'm sure that will never happen but i think the 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 image and the the thinking behind that is it's a very relevant discussion it's not just about the olden days versus now it's it's a little bit about when when do we actually apply those different rules such as the uh, the weather protocol yeah and also harnessing the means of technology available um you know real time pretty much real time weather 
forecasting or radar patterns and so on yeah. and so forth. I mean, every team has a car that goes down the road to inspect the course oh, and, yeah. to, and to feedback on and, and everything any in the obstacles on the course. There's not a meter of road in Switzerland that's not under surveillance, you know, so I'm sure they could <laughs> find some cameras. But also the, the one thing that, that struck me when the discussion was on and that I still find disturbing as well is that Riders used an argument and said, "Yeah, but it's been raining so much in the Giro, so now mm. we sort of have to take well, that." that weakens our argument. Yeah, we like. have to con take that in into consideration. Why? Why do we have to take that into consideration? That I don't understand. Why does that somehow force parts of a stage to get cancelled? I don't understand that. Is it realistic to sort of issue the the challenge that Mark Mario did and said, "Look, if 150 guys want to abandon, that's fine. We want." We want to to hail and celebrate and venerate those survivors. There's 30 guys left in the race, but that, realistically, we never see that happen. We've never well, seen that happen. Since coming back to Cipollini's generation, there was a year in, in Terreno yeah. when Carmine Castellano was, who was also the race director of Terreno and mm. the Giro, obviously. And they this was before, as always, before San Remo, and there was a mm. big stage, and there was huge chunk of riders, some 80 riders, if not more. Who just decided to stay outside the time limit and think, oh, we're so many, so mm. uh, they they they'll just let us pass anyways. He didn't. He stopped them and said, like, you're out of the bike race. And this was probably on the Tuesday, the Wednesday before San Remo. So they they also back then tried to somehow coax the the race organizers into making their own decisions, and that certainly did not work at the time. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, Brian, we've already wound the clock back once today. Um, let's do so again. Heard from us earlier, just as so we crossed the Samplon Pass. We weren't yet in Italy because the Italian border is it's about six or seven kilometers after the pass, isn't it? And uh, well, just as we were coming to the Italian border, it was time for us to check in, as we do every day, with our good friend Lionel Burney in Not Watford. It's past 11, time for my cappuccino break. La pausa cappuccino con Lionel Bernie. Dopo le 11. Lionel, pronto? Hello. How are you going? I'm doing really well. I've just had to slap on the Factor 50 here in the south of England. It's a glorious late May it's day. And, well, it's not raining on the Giro as I watch it here, but the weather's not good again by the sounds of it. No, it's filthy. It's filthy. We've just come over the Saint-Plan Pass and we're just just coming through the border controls actually we're just coming through customs and we're well i agree to you in italian today because we are we as of about two minutes ago we're back in italy in fact brian's just seized control of the radio and <laughs> brian he's celebrating brian is celebrating i don't know if he's going to give us a rendition excellent so yeah So the have you got have you got Chiro in the boot? Does that mean you've got Chiro in the boot of the car? <laughs> no, and Chiro's probably even happier than Brian. Chiro hates mountains even more than Brian does. Anyway, and have have you, have you paid the duty on all that Rivella? I've still got two 
bottles um, <laughs> snuck in the boots somewhere, snuck in the back of the car. Um, still no news on the, on the missing Ravella, which is down in Foggia, in Puglia, in the, in the car of Primoz Roglic's <laughs> agent. I actually asked for news of that this morning, and he's got a bit of a he's he's in a bit of a pickle because he's got a, a car that needs to be well rescued from Foggia, um, and he, he the only option is to go down there in one car, come back in the car that's marooned in Foggia he doesn't really know how he's going to do it so if any listeners would like to volunteer to go and fetch someone's car from Foggia and take it to um, Switzerland I'm sure Primoz Roglic's agent would be delighted brilliant brilliant well just briefly I don't want to spoil Brian's look ahead to tomorrow's stage but I did want to talk about tomorrow's stage to Bergamo and the GC because it brought back some memories of 2017 feels like a long time ago now Daniel when we were in Bergamo we were on the hunt for Polenta we were unsuccessful on that occasion Uh, but it was a day where they went over those two climbs right at the end and they do the same two climbs in the middle of tomorrow's stage it's a significantly harder stage isn't it tomorrow than it was six years ago but when I look back at the results and saw how it all shook down over those climbs it made me realize that tomorrow it's likely to be a GC day really even though it's not kind of mountains that are 2,000 meters high it's uh, well it's four climbs that will test the peloton and give some opportunities and the final climb is close enough that uh, to the finish that it will require maximum vigilance and I'm just starting to look at the GC now really for the first time in this Giro we've got the big mountain still to come but it's uh, looking like a sort of three and a half man race at the moment isn't it Geraint Thomas, Primoz Roglic, Wow Almeida all within 22 seconds of each other as we speak now I mean I am tempting fate here assuming that there's not going to be some kind of um, ambush on this climb and then sort of some team time trial on the flat to the finish on today's stage but a couple of interesting people in the bottom half of the top 10 Damiano Caruso has kind of snuck up into fifth place very quietly and Eddie Dunbar who I was talking about before the Giro hasn't had a chance at a Grand Tour for a long time and has just basically ridden silently into seventh place quite impressively and I wonder whether he will look to just kind of sit tight consolidate that over the final week on course for a really good result if he can do that yeah he is and he's an an explosive rider and he should suit tomorrow's route Um, we're expecting better weather at least tomorrow and might even see some sunshine tomorrow it should feel like a real Giro d'Italia day Uh, Bergamo one of the real heartlands of cycling in Italy there was a time where it could sort of lay a claim to the title of world capital of professional cycling by virtue of all the stars particularly the 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 brightest star of all Lionel Pavel Tonkov used to live there and there were a lot of other foreign riders big names who had settled in Bergamo not so many riders from Bergamo now who are in the Giro d'Italia but we're going to hear from one later actually um, in mm. Brian's Cena di Ieri Tappa di Domani segment at the end of the episode lovely well if it goes anything like it did in 2017 when basically all of the top GC riders it was it was Quintana Pino Adam Yates uh, Vincenzo Nibali Tom Dumoulin that's kind of what I'm anticipating tomorrow so it will be really interesting to see if it kicks off on that final climb and, and finally the Giro GC race you know we can now start to think of the race for the GC it's all going to start kicking off I think tomorrow 
and then uh, everyone will see where they rest on the rest day and go again on Tuesday. But this is where the Giro really starts and I guess where all this sort of 12, 14 days of terrible weather and it's going to, well, it, riders who have been feeling it are going to start getting caught out, aren't they? So it could be quite an explosive final week. Thinking well, Brian, um, Brian, Lionel, and uh, Lionel, tomorrow same, we will... Same haircut, oh, same haircut yes, as yes. Brian, but that's about the only similarity. I don't know what, uh, if he's the Baron, I mean, in sort of nobility terms, I don't know. I'm probably, I am the footman, aren't I, really? Just sort of <laughs> uh, answer the door and bring the drinks. Now, I'm still scratching my head as to how we didn't find polenta in 2017. You can't avoid polenta. In fact, um, we might hear a little bit later in the episode from our friend Alberto Grandi, the mythbuster, the culinary mythbuster about just how ubiquitous polenta was in uh, Bergamo once upon a time. So um, well, that's, that's something to look I can forward answer to. That, I can answer that question because you'd spoken to Marco Pinotti about polenta, hadn't you? And he'd given a recommendation, but then we were invited to a pizzeria with the rest of the kind of English-speaking press pack and the uh, the Giro's kind of press attaché at the time. And so we, yeah, we had to swerve the polenta and it was my last day on the race that year and I, I was pretty disappointed to miss out. And I still haven't had an authentic um, polenta from Bergamo I maybe make a trip to Il Lombardia at the end of the season and, and have some then well Lina we'll report back no doubt tomorrow enjoy Well, Brian, Lionel certainly is very excited about our trip to Bergamo the Giro's trip to Bergamo tomorrow we're excited to see some sun possibly we're excited for this battle that we hope is going to materialise, particularly between Primoz Roglic, Jumbo Visma and Ineos Grenadiers and Geraint Thomas. And, well, I'm also intrigued, Brian, to see if a young British rider who is at this Giro and got called up for this Giro at the last minute because of various COVID cases and training crashes and assorted other mishaps before the Giro, his name's Thomas Glogue, whether he continues his good form, particularly the good form that he showed at Cormontana. And we also noticed, and we talked about yesterday, how well he was celebrating as he came over the line in, I think it was 24th place. And Thomas Glogue is the subject of today's Chiacchierata del Giorno. La Chiacchierata del Giorno. The Teen Wag of the Day. Tom, not everyone has appeared to be enjoying this Giro d'Italia, but you, yesterday, I think I saw you raise an arm and you were, you were celebrating, and you looked like a man having, well, as much fun as he'd ever had um, on that stage yesterday. Just tell us about those, well, that last climb. Yeah, for me, obviously, such a special experience, and with it being a little bit last minute and whatnot, I've tried to make the most of it and just every day give it my all and, and see what happens. And, yeah, like, you know, what... We're here, we're here at the end of the day. It's it's a job, but it's something that, you know, I'm here because I love doing what I do. So if I get a chance to enjoy it, I'm going to I'm going to take a moment and, and live it in, you know, like uh, I'm lucky that we have an amazing guy like Primoz and he goes full gas to the finish. And yeah, like I, I made it so far up the climb and I can ride in a little bit easier and I'm really taking the crowds and I'm going to take, every time I get a chance to do that, I'm going to take it, so. Did that feel like the biggest arena that you'd raced in yet in your young pro career on a mountain stage big crowds everyone excited for sure definitely up there you know 
um, was very, very special. It was very special. And actually, for me as well, I was probably the worst rider in the race for a few days. So it's nice not to be at least the worst. Um, you well, know? Certainly not that yesterday. Yeah, it, well, it's, it's, it's weird because actually the back of the race is so much harder than the front of the race. Um, I think anyone who's whose race can, will tell you that, you know? So yeah, being at the front of the race is always a lot nicer and I definitely enjoyed it more after having suffered around the back for a majority of the race so far. And I think there was some anxiety on your behalf from fans and other people, a young guy coming in, being called at the last minute, is this gonna ruin him? But you seem to be getting stronger and it seems to be going very well for you personally. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a day by day process. Um, who, who knows what's, what today or the next days hold, but yeah, I mean, it's not been a linear progression, but yesterday and the day before, I was feeling normal on the bike again. So that's all you can ask for, and who knows what the upcoming days hold. And you mentioned Primoz. What impresses you most about him? Good question. His composure in the situation is never too big for him. You know, like he's even on the first climb yesterday, there were probably 20 guys, you know, even 20 minutes in, we've gone really, really hard and then some guys came back and Primoz was just sitting there having having a joke with Geraint, having a joke with Caruso, you know, like super relaxed. You know, there were guys going full gas up the road at one point, it was really stretched because of the breakaway and, you know, he was never, never lost composure. So that's super impressive. And just last thing, Tom, I forgot to ask, I spoke to Mark Rafe um, yesterday after the stage, just forgot to ask him about the tactics yesterday, two guys in the break. Um, what was the thinking behind that? Yeah, I think it's just put pressure on where we can on, on the other teams. Um, and, and that's it. And who knows, who knows what the finales are going to hold in, in different scenarios. Um, so, yeah, they, they, at the end of the day, there are 22 teams on the start, but we just try and race the best we can. La tappa di domani e la cena di ieri. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's dinner. Brian, yesterday's dinner. Yeah, I mean, yesterday's Swiss dinner. Yeah, I think we need to preface it that way. Because it was uh, it was not an easy menu card to pick from. If you, as I think we all know by now, you don't eat fish and you'd rather not eat meat. It was a fairly meager selection of things. It was it was really but well was made. Nothing. It was well made food. It was nothing. But it was a bit of a labyrinth for someone with your um, food preferences, I would say. Um, and it was as things are in Switzerland, flamingly expensive. Yeah, yeah. I think I was charged for the beef and I was charged for the consultation. When I told the waiter <laughs> that I didn't really want the beef, but I would eat it anyway, he then went back to the kitchen, came back five minutes later with the news that there was nothing they could do. And I think they charged us about 30 Swiss francs for that it's like five-minute consultation. It's like waiting in a taxi in cab. It's not moving, but you have to pay. Yes, Brian. Um, we had some Pinot Noir, didn't we? Um, in honour, in tribute yeah. to Thibaut Pinot, who, of course, had a very difficult day yesterday. But I think he's going to go well tomorrow, Brian. I think tomorrow's course suits him. Brian, just before we talk about tomorrow's stage, should we talk about tonight's dinner? Ci può dire quello che potremo mangiare stasera? Sì. Allora ci saranno i salumi, ci sarà la torta fritta, potete mangiare le tagliatelle alla bolognese, ci sono i pisserei fasoi, i tortelli d'arbetta, c'è lo Sì, cucina brianzola, ah, emiliana, tipica emiliana. Mm. So we actually we're, we're moving backwards to the further down south towards Bologna. You translate, Brian? Yeah, so we had there's, there's some tagliatelle, there's some um, 
C'era una fritta, un tipo di eh, torta fritta? Torta fritta sì, è diciamo lo gnocco fritto, però come viene chiamato nella zona di Parma e Piacenza. Quindi la torta fritta con i salumi, si abbina con quello. So that would be the antipasti, salumi, fried, fried bread, tagliatelle, as well known. So that Brian, was very promising. That's on, that's on our menu for the, tonight. What's on the riders' menu for tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow's uh, stage 15 from Serenio, quite close to where we are now, to Bergamo, 195 kilometers. From, from the east to, uh, towards west and some of the hard terrain that we know from Il Lombardia or the race that was formerly named Giro della Lombardia. Four categorized climbs and a stage that goes basically up and down all day. The first big climb is the cat uh, one climb to Valico di Valcava, 11.6 kilometers with an 8% It's average. It's a horrible climb. It's a very I hard climb. I did that for the first time 20 years ago and I remember there's a, particularly the last three kilometers are awful and you come around a corner, I think it's a left-hand bend and I can remember coming around this left-hand bend seeing the road rear up like a cobra and just laughing. You were uh, laughing? Just cackling because it was just so absurd. I mean, one, there's also some other, and that's one thing I like about the climbs in this area, that they just have the best names. So, for instance, the, the second Category 2 climb is the Miragolo San Salvatore. Then there's the Ron, uh, Roncola Alta, which is also a famous climb from uh, the Bergamo finish of Tour Lombardy. And speaking of that, the final is very similarly, similar to the Bergamo arrival of Il Lombardia. That's a short, steep climb that people probably remember from... They go through these gates, the, the Porta Caribaldi leading to the Bergamo Alta, the, the upper part of Bergamo, and the Colaperto, which is the name of that specific climb. And after that, cobbles, which exactly, are yeah, cobbles, but little, stones. little stones, round sort of stones. Exactly. And after that, the fastest center was the finish line some four kilometers later. But to add to the action, the race will face this section twice because they pass the finish line with 53 kilometers to go. And then they take the 10 kilometer climb to Ronco, Roncola Alta. Before then, again, heading down towards Bergamo and the Lombardia finish I mentioned before, where the last winner uh, on the um, finish line via Roma was Tadej Pogacar in 2001, out sprinting Fabio Masnada. So there will be some very familiar scenes tomorrow. It really sets the stage for, and this is a very inspiring parkour, I think. And where we are in the bike race right now, it's a, it's a strange thing to say, they owe us a bit of a race, don't they? We need uh, one of those classic, I mean, we've had Bergamo stages in the Giro before, similar courses, and it's always produced a good spectacle. Brian, we've heard your presentation of tomorrow's stage. Let's have uh, something similar from someone who knows those roads even better than you. You used to live in Como, you know them a little bit. Lorenzo Rota, who is riding this Giro d'Italia for Antiamarche, he was born in Bergamo, so he does know these roads even better, and I spoke to him this morning. So Lorenzo, I know that you're, well, you're from Bergamo. I think you've lived there all of your life, pretty much in Bergamo. Um, could you just present tomorrow's stage for us? Tell us about the climbs and what we're likely to see there. Yes, now I don't live in Bergamo, but, uh, but okay, my parents live in Bergamo. Uh, yeah, the stage in Bergamo is uh, really, really hard, really technical, and uh, also the descent uh, uh, is uh, really narrow and uh, in some, some corner is uh, quite dangerous. I know really well the, the parkour. Uh, the first climb is uh, really, really hard, it's a Valcava. Uh, after uh, the, the climbs, after is not so, so hard, but uh, of course uh, will be one stage that uh, the GC rider can make uh, a difference. Where do you think they could make the difference tomorrow? Where's the, what's the key point on the course? But we will see. I think uh, already to Valcava. Valcava is really, really hard. I think it's one of the most harder uh, climbs that uh, we will do in this Giro. So I think uh, already in Valcava and uh, 
I don't know, maybe if it uh, will be dry, uh, the descent is not so, so difficult, but after is continue up and down, uh, right, left. So will be will be hard. I think uh, uh, from uh, Roncola, uh, Roncola is the key point of uh, the stage. And Roncola is a classic climb for Bergamaschi cyclists, isn't it? It's one of your, it's the palestra, it's the gymnasium for Bergamo cyclists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roncola, Selvino, Valcava is, uh, for us, is uh, uh, the, the route that uh, you you grown up no? in, uh, in that kind of road. And uh, so for me, okay, I, I'm not living Bergamo now, but uh, I know really, really well uh, the road, all the road. So yes, for us, for uh, the guys of Bergamo is... Uh, it's normally do this kind of climbs. How old were you when you first did La Roncola? <laughs> I don't know. Can you remember? <laughs> I think uh, 20 years ago. No, 20 no, but uh, 15 years ago, of course. So, and I, yes, and I did maybe, I don't know, 100 times. So I know really well. And tomorrow, will there be any Lorenzo Rota uh, ultras on the course? Have you got any fans who will be in a particular place? Yeah, of course, uh, I have a lot of fans in, uh, in Bergamo. Unfortunately, my shape is not uh, super good. I'm suffering a little bit uh, in the last days, but, uh, but okay. Uh, of course, we will try to do my best. And uh, if not me, I will support uh, some guys uh, in the team. And last thing, Lorenzo, yesterday was one year since that stage to Genoa where you were second behind Oldani. Do you, do you think about that much? Is it, does it cross your mind often? Ah uh, no, uh, in that kind of stage uh, was difficult. I, I, I did my best. So Dan is a really really fast guy. So I know that uh, uh, in uh, in that kind of finish, Dan is more fast than me. So I'm not disappointed about this. And uh, uh, of course, one will be better, but uh, second is not really 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 bad. Uh, unfortunately, this year uh, I'm not uh, the the same shape. But okay, I'm I'm. I'm confident that uh, after the Giro I can do good, so okay, we keep fighting. Excellent. Enjoy Thank tomorrow. Grazie. Grazie. So Brian, that's tomorrow. We'll be eating polenta probably. Um, this time tomorrow, which you are wincing at. I sort of promised earlier in the episode that we might hear from our culinary mythbuster Alberto Grandi about polenta in Bergamo. Why the Bergamaschi and everyone in the north really is referred to as polentoni, literally big polenta eaters. I mean, I um, might look like a polentone, but I don't like it. No. Um, we won't hear from Alberto Grandi, but um, I was listening again to my the long interview I did with him at the start of the Giro, which you can find on YouTube. It's fully subtitled. It's an hour long. Um, explains a lot of things about Italian culinary history there. I mean, he talks about polenta in that, and he well, talks about the huge change that Italy underwent after the Second World War um, with the economic miracle. And prior to the Second World War, farmers, for example, in the north, they were spending 60% of their income on polenta, basically. That was what all, all of their money went on. And he said within a few years after the Second World War, it was down to 5%. He said they... The Northern Italians were so sick of polenta, they couldn't even look at polenta anymore. I'm with and them all the way. Mm, no, I, I'm quite fond. I'm quite fond. Well, we'll be eating all the myths now shortly, won't we? This is my week, Brian. We're going through all of the regions of Italy where I, um, well, I'm going to be more at home than you. We're going to be in the mountains. We're going to be eating the sort of food that I think I appreciate slightly more than you. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. Brian, I think that's enough for this evening. Um, we'll be back tomorrow from Bergamo.
Buonasera. Buonasera. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib and Lionel Burnett.